Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, July 11th, 2008. I'm Alana Rangi. David Edwards calls himself an art scientist. His scientific work has been in the field of biomedical research, and he's looked at how nanoparticles can be used to deliver drugs and vaccines faster and cheaper than current methods. His artistic endeavors have ranged from novels to art galleries. Edwards spoke on his new book as part of Science in the City's author series. In this podcast, get the gist of exactly what an art scientist is, and hear about Edwards' latest endeavor, Le Laboratoire, an innovative art and science space in Paris. Love Science in the City podcasts? Support them by becoming a member of the New York Academy of Sciences. Visit scienceandthecity.org. I'd like to talk about art and science and, and when they merge. I'm David Edwards. I'm a professor at Harvard University. I, I write, I do science, and I founded an innovation center, art and design innovation center in Paris called the Laboratoire. Art science is a process. It's a process of creative thought that's a fusion of two kinds of thought that we're all sort of familiar with classically. One is an aesthetic way of thought associated with art as process as opposed to art as product. So the aesthetic process or aesthetic method is a method of thought that's intuitive, inductive, comfortable with uncertainty, thriving in ambiguity, image-driven. And the analytical or scientific method, as we are all kind of familiar with, is this process or method that is deductive and able to simplify a complex world to its essence and guided by equations. And so the caricature of creative thought is that it happens in these two categories and camps and indeed two communities of people. The reality is that innovative people or creative people or all of us to the extent that we're innovating tend to do so by a fusion, and more specifically, we do so typically by an experimental method where we sort of say, I want to become the uh, mayor of New York, and uh, there's no place I can go to become mayor of New York. There's no kind of form I can fill out to be in New York, so it's kind of a not obvious how you become mayor of New York, and so you, you make hypotheses about how you're going to do that, and it's clearly a first step. You don't know where that hypothesis comes from. It comes from somewhere, and you then analyze a path forward, and some evening, you are eating dinner, and you realize that that experiment's over, and you're not mayor, you're not even close to becoming mayor, and you either cease or you, again, have one of these moments of uh, no sleep and so forth where you're reaching into some sort of um, storage of experience and so forth, and coming up with a hypothesis of where to go next. And so these nodes of innovative development are very familiar And they're neither completely deductive nor completely aesthetic, dream-based, but a fusion of the two. So art science is that fused process. It's interesting, and I say it's increasingly paradoxical in that, in in a way, it's sort of easier to talk about art as a work of art and science as kind of a theorem or some sort of outcome of science. But what's interesting is today, partly because of the post-school generation, the explosion of information that's happened and the competitive nature of the world today, in industry, in art, in science, increasingly the product of what we do has this sort of ephemeral feel to it, and this kind of part is sort of almost more meaningful to think of in the context as being part of a process. And that's the process that interests me and us, and when I talk about art science, 
it's related. I to don't that. think I'm singular as a scientist, and in fact, all of us, I think, in the end, are, are pretty unclassifiable if you really dig down. And, and so, having said that, clearly, even myself coming into a biomedical engineer or applied math or chemical engineering, whatever it was, sort of career was not evident. And so, there were many moments during my childhood and education where I really wondered what I was doing. I ended up really loving what I was doing, but I particularly loved what I was doing when it became a basis for being creative. So I think that at least the scientists who I interact a lot with and, and enjoy being around, there's definitely room in science for out-of-the-box thinking. And, and in fact, if you look back uh, historically, a lot of major changes in science have come about by that way of thinking. So I think it has a place in the scientific world. But one of the problems with science, and maybe it's a lot larger than that, is that it is hard to go very far with a scientific career without becoming very specialized. And so the real challenge, and unless you live a very vagabond life, which I kind of did for a long time, it's sort of hard to hold on to the more dreamish uh, fiction writer life in a standard, particularly academic, uh, scientific career unless you really force yourself to make room for it. And some people do. For me today, artists, scientists, or art scientists are people who both dream and endure great ambiguity and risk and, and do. And so there's some sort of a category of us, and I, maybe all of us at different points in our lives are kind of like that, it is very much kind of a definition of a, a young person who's creating his or her life. Got to do, got to get on with it, got to dream, or hopefully we had a chance to, and confuse a lot of risk, a lot of everything up in the air. So there's something about this artist-scientist mindset, which I think is universal. And sometimes it's caricatured. The, the examples that I like, the example I'm going to give, are sort of so extreme. It's like, oh my gosh, I would never be that. And I, I think the main point I want to make is that all of us, in a way, develop our ideas in this sort of art science way. So having said that, um, a really easy person whose story I tell first in the book, which is Diana Dabby, who is uh, really a lovely um, and very talented uh, artist, who was here in New York and pianist and composer and was the height of her game, was performing in different places, Carnegie Hall and so forth, and was one weekend in Lincoln Center Library reading about the cutting edge of, of music, which concerned her. And so as she read it, she realized everybody in this magazine was an engineer, and she had no clue what that meant, but she felt very afraid and kind of concerned about it. So she ran home, and her friend had this new uh, encyclopedia, so they looked up the definition of engineer and all this. is a very totally funny story, and you have to um, really almost hear Diana tell the story, which is very funny. But Diana's will, I guess this is the first thing that's pretty interesting, and I think characterizes a lot of this artist-scientist mentality, was so convinced that she could herself reach this cutting edge of music, that she went back to school, became an engineer, went to MIT and became an electrical engineer, and in the process ended up with an incredibly new way of viewing music composition and variations with chaos theory. So she's been celebrated for a lot. It came out in a very prestigious scientific journal. So at this point, she is both a composer uh, performing um, musician, and she teaches engineering students. 
so the, the laboratoire, uh, we, we perform right now three to four experiments a year. It's in the center of Paris. It's near the Louvre and the Palais Royal in the first arrondissement. We have a staff of about 10 and a lot of temporary people. So the lab is an exhibition space, so four days a week you can come in and see exhibitions of a sort. Most of the resources go to doing experiments, so we, we would never expose work that had been done somewhere else. So we really are investing most of our resources in this sort of encounter, and we try and create that by bringing artists and designers who are trying to formulate dreams at the cutting edge of science, and we try and bring an encounter with a scientist and then look for a really interesting hypothesis and then invest in that. And so most of our time is spent. So the lab, in a sense, is internet. Very experiments are going on all over the world. But finally, then, the result is exposed as an art or design exhibition in Paris. And we have partners ranging from museums to universities, and we're still trying to figure it out. Sort of set up a little bit like a university in the sense that there's a not-for-profit, which is the core, and then there's some organizations set up outside of it to help get value out of the lab. We basically do three to four experiments a year. Each is based on an artist's hypothesis that can't be formulated without the collaboration of a leading scientist who's working at some cutting edge of science. But we don't exhibit work that's been sort of created outside of this process. So mostly what we're doing is sort of catalyzing this sort of creation and then we show it. Many and, people and asked us before we opened and you after who we were targeting in terms of audience, and we didn't have a response to that. And I think part of it is that you create a lab for the people who create in it. And the idea of a lab that's open to the public is sort of a different idea. Having said that, we were really nervous about who would come into the front door, and we had no clue. And so... I think by virtue of being in Paris, in the center of Paris, it's a big enough city that we've had exhibits ranging from plastic art to very hard-hitting images of disease to, like, a restaurant. And so we're targeting, when we do experiments, four different kinds of impact. One is just purely cultural. One is industrial, industrial design. One is humanitarian, and then educational. And inevitably, all of these tend to fuse together. So... Uh, what I'd like to do, just to be more concrete, is talk about experiments that we have done. When we opened, given that it was really important to be embraced within Paris and the French world, some French team, we decided to work with a very well-known, kind of leading plastic artist in France today, Fabrice Hibert. The idea, we, we thought we wanted a theme. And so we started out with the theme of intelligence, only because it's sort of this ambiguous concept, and uh, it invites dialogue. And so... We approached Fabrice. Fabrice brought me to his studio and showed me this tree he painted with, um, we had these apples that fell to the ground and became cherries, and he asked if it was possible to make that tree. And I said to him that that was possible if we let the apples be stem cells and the cherries be neurons, and then that was possible and became the sort of metaphor for um, intelligence, and it's also a cutting edge of science in Bob Langer who's a professor at MIT with whom I've worked, uh, works in that area. And so the question arose over a week visit, uh, during which Daniel Faust, who just walked in, who's an artist here amongst you, and a friend of Fabrice came to MIT. Fabrice had this idea, which literally happened like this, where Daniel walked in and suddenly he moved from a big crisis to um, inspiration. Had this idea, I'm going to give to the public the experience of being a stem cell, becoming a neuron. So the role that the scientists played here was pretty passive, in this case, Bob became a, an information catalyst, and the outcome was, um, among other things, this really interesting metaphor that Fabrice developed, which related to the idea that if we could all fall through 
an hourglass, we would have the experience of cellular division. And so here you have this inflatable hourglass, if you will, where you can, in principle, fall through this polymeric sleeve, and these uh, beads ran up around you, and you had this ultimate moment of compression as you're trying to go through, and then you fell out onto this, this mattress. So the, this sort of metaphor showed up throughout the 40 paintings and so forth. And so it was a very abstract and fun exhibit. I think Paris was, on the one hand, it was a very sort of pathological sort of choice. It was either Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts, or Paris. And then it was clear economically to make this work, we needed a cultural industry. So it needed to happen in a city where there is enough culture. Having said that, I don't think we would have created it were there not some special chemistry to Paris. So I think what's interesting about it being in Paris right now as a first sort of lab is that Paris has a huge investment in culture and both at a psyche level and also in real resources. But a significant amount of those resources go to preserving a culture that in the past there is a real sense of anxiety in France about the ability to keep investing in the future. And so the idea of having this funky organization that is next to the Louvre and the Palais Royal and so forth is intriguing. It's not at all a threat. I think it's refreshing, and that's kind of how it's been received. I would be interested in talking more about what I call the organizational conundrum. I think there's a big problem today about how we... If you look, and it didn't used to be true as much, but given the competitiveness of the world today, given the, you know, we haven't been able to live that much longer, and so we've got a finite amount of time, the information explosion and so forth, it tends to be true that most of the really significant creative impact that is changing the world happens in organizations, in human organizations. And those organizations are increasingly highly specialized. Historically, our human organizations tend to be very information-based kinds of organizations, universities and companies and so forth. Because of the way things have gone in the last 15 or 20 years, suddenly that's no longer valid. And so there's this rush in industry and culture and, and university to somehow find a way to capture the value that we used to capture by simply being kind of possessors of information. And that's very much related to becoming innovative. And so this specialized nature of our organizations today is sort of precluding our ability to really add value in this kind of new world. And so I think that art science, as much as it's really interesting, I hope in a museum kind of context, I think as a key to being able to open some of those barriers that are really stumbling blocks in our organizations is a fascinating topic of conversation. Did you know you can subscribe to Science in the City podcasts on iTunes and get our newest story every week downloaded automatically to your iTunes library? Search Science and the City in your iTunes search bar. Have a question or comment about our show? We'd love your feedback. Send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org. Leave a voicemail at 212-298-8654. Or send us a letter snail mail to Science and the City care of the New York Academy of Sciences, 7 World Trade Center on the 40th floor, New York, New York, 10007. See you next week.